This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. When you go and you share the good news of the gospel with people, number one, you should expect them to have a hard time receiving the gospel. You should expect that. Why? Because the gospel is the antithesis to the world's philosophy. It offers forgiveness to people who think they don't need forgiving, and it offers to life to people who think they really don't need any new life. Their life is fine. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to the program. In this episode, we're continuing Pastor Jeff's message from Matthew 13 and the parable of throwing seeds. Pastor Jeff reminds us that we are all sowers of God's seed. Even though we'll get a varied response to sharing the good news, Pastor Jeff encourages us to get creative when it comes to sharing the love that Jesus has for everyone. Let's hear the rest of this message now. kingdom of God, when it comes into you, causes friction because he's going to mold and shape you into something that he needs you to become. I think people know that. So number one, make sure that you know that when you go out to present the gospel, that it's going to be confusing to people because you're offering people forgiveness and life that don't believe they need forgiveness and life. The kingdom of God is going to be confusing because it's not a boulder. They're used to kingdom smashing everything into submission And they wonder why God won't just fix everything right now in their lives and in the world. And they're not going to be part of a kingdom where God appears to be weak. He's not weak. The ultimate form of power is to have the power to do something and yet restrain for a greater cause. That's the ultimate form of power. That's God. And third and finally, expect it to be a journey for people. When you present the good news of the gospel, people will always quote Acts 2. Yeah, but on the day of Pentecost, they preached and it happened instantaneously. Well, sure it did. Because all the Jews had come back out of exile, out of dispersion, into the Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. God chose this moment in time to do his greatest work. And so what does he do? He has Peter stand before people who already were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, and suddenly their eyes are open to the reality that Jesus, in fact, fulfilled the scriptures, and he is the Messiah, and you have killed him. But his death was used by God for forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible says 3,000 people that day gave their life to Jesus. We're baptized, and we're added to the church. But that's Acts 2. By the time we get to Acts 17, it's totally different. The Apostle Paul now, it's not instantaneous conversion. It's a journey of conversation, of love, of compassion. In Acts chapter 17... When Paul was waiting for the other disciples in Athens, he looked around and he saw all the false idols. Verse 17 says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So he's reasoning now. He's reasoning. He's conversing. He's expecting it to be a journey. Now, one more thing, one more piece of the puzzle, then we'll get to the solution from the Bible. Now we throw in Matthew 13 and all of a sudden we're told Jesus, by Jesus in the parable, that when we cast the seed, when we spread the gospel, that it falls on four types of of soils or hearts. Number one is the the path. That's the person who hears it, doesn't even understand it. Okay, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Jeff, but that's so foreign to me, man, I just don't get it. Second is the rocky soil. Okay, I think I get it. This is cool. I got a get out of hell free card. 
But as soon as Christ asks for lordship in your life and to start transforming you and molding you and shaping you and putting you on the potter's will and sometimes picking you up and smashing you and starting all over again, you say, whoa, I'm, I didn't sign up for that. I'm out of here. And then the third heart, the third soil, the one of thorns. These are people who have one foot in each kingdom. They received it with joy. Yeah, but the world, the kingdom is choking the kingdom of God out of them. And so they have trouble tithing or giving or being a person of generosity or living their lives for a purpose greater than themselves because they're holding on to the world and holding on to the kingdom. They're not fully convinced this is right. So they're going to keep this kingdom in their life too, hoping that sooner or later they've got both bases covered. What they don't know is you're either all in or not in at all. And then the first, fourth soil is the good soil that hears it. Oh, they get it. Christ is my savior. There is a kingdom. This kingdom is fading away. He is my Lord. No matter how difficult or hard it is, I know God has my best interest in mind. I'm gonna, he's going to shape and mold and form me, and one day I'm going to be with him in glory, and the rest, you know, the rest will be the rest of life. And it's a, a quality. It's, it's where joy is central and sorrow only peripheral here, but one day joy will be all that you'll have. Now, in the past, I've dissected this parable. If that's you and you say, man, I want some theology, then go online to our series called The Story and type in seed and sower and you can get an explanation, a theological explanation of each seed, each sower. But that's not what I'm going to do. This weekend, I want to do what I never get to do because I run out of time <laughs> and give you the 40,000 foot view. Do you realize a parable is, is Jesus moving from the lesser to the greater? And what happens when we study parables, we get so bogged down in the weeds. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? When Jesus stand back and look at it and ask, what is the overall message? What is the overall message of the parable of the seed and the sower? And it's easy because in the Greco-Roman world and in Jewish literature, the idea of speaking was the idea of casting seed. So when Jesus used the metaphor of the farmer casting seed, he's talking about that which we speak. We are speakers. You and I are seed chuckers. That's who we are. We're supposed to be about the business of constantly chucking seed, the good news of the gospel that's supposed to dominate our lives. Now, what's interesting about that is, is that if you look at the parable and you get bogged down, it appears that Jesus is a really bad farmer because he just throws the seed everywhere, indiscriminately chucks it. Why would Jesus put it on the path? Man, put it where it goes. And the other thing is, Jesus has a horrible batting average. He's only one for four. I mean, if you bat 250 in the major leagues, unless you're an incredible fielder, you're going down to the minors sooner or later. But that's not the point. Jesus is teaching us the overall message of this parable that we did through responsive reading is simple, and it's this. You're going to have different responses to chucking the seed, but never give up. Keep chucking the seed of the gospel. You have no idea on what type of soil it's going to land on. But just keep chucking, even if it lands on bad soil. Just keep chucking. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 2, 16 and 17. <laughs> that's about as political as you'll ever see me get. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? In other words, when we chuck the seed, some people are going to say, you stink. You smell. Pastor Jeff, you stink. I don't like you. But others were the sweetest smelling thing they've ever encountered. Man, this is beautiful. It's the aroma of life. 
So here's what it teaches me. Three quick things were done. Stay with me. Number one, it teaches me that Jesus wants me to know that I am to sow broadly. Chuck seed every man. Throw it out there. Do it with wisdom and gentleness and not rudeness, with authenticity. Don't be a moron. That's an actual Greek word, so I can use it, moros. Don't be, I mean, uh, somebody comes to you in the movie theater, pardon me, is this seat saved? No, but are you? Don't chuck it like that. Uh, Chuck it everywhere, but chuck it wisely and kindly. Uh, Let me give you a good example. You know, when I lived in uh, uh, New Zealand, I went to a gym called the Glenfield Rec Center. There was a guy at the gym. Now, this is not him. Okay, but he looks like the guy, and I found this on Google. And man, that dude, and I don't—at least I don't think it's him, but it, it's not him because it's been about I don't know 15 years. But this guy uh, walked around. His name was uh, Robbie. We called him Robbie. He walked around the gym. Nobody liked him, and, and you knew he was on steroids because he was angry all the time. And he walked. And, you know, there was a clear sign at the gym that said, "Do not drop the weights." And he would drop them on purpose, and then look around. What are you going to do about it? That's the kind of, you know, you ever met a guy like that? Just man, even the manager was afraid of this dude and he was big, this dude. And he just walked around. He never said anything. He just grunted. That's all he did. And uh, no one in the gym liked him because he never put the weights back. He never used a towel. It's like he owned the place. But no one, everybody was afraid of him. And so one day I'm over on the weights and I'm collecting the dumbbells that I need to do some incline press. He walks up beside me, and usually when he came near you, people would just move. Even if he came to a machine that he wanted to use, and you were right in the middle of reps, I'd see people actually get up and walk away. This guy was crazy. And typical New Zealand, just pacifist, apathetic, didn't do anything about it, just let it keep going. And so, hey, wait a minute, that's American. No, that's another. It's the second political statement in one sermon. And so, so I'm standing here, and he walks over. And the barbells he needs are on the opposite side. He doesn't say, excuse me, or anything. He just basically takes his left arm and shoves me out of the way and grabs him. Now, we men just can't deal with that. I mean, at that point, no matter how big or small you are, the testosterone kicks in and you're not thinking. I was so mad, but I was also scared. And so he, he got his bar. And I'm just, I just, I got back on the, the, the incline press and I was getting mad. The more I thought about it, the more mad I got, which is not what you're supposed to do as a Christ follower. You're supposed to just forget it and go on. But there was something in me, and it, just, it was making me angry. And I, I saw him across the way, and I just started giving him stink eye. You know? And of course, he was just like giving me a, uh, you know, yeah. So we're giving this back and forth. And finally, I, I just I cannot let this go. On behalf of all humanity, I mean, yeah, right. I didn't care about humanity. I just cared about I'd been violated. And so... I got up out of my, after about 10 minutes, I walked over to him and I was getting closer and closer and he was looking at me and I said, dude, you need Jesus. Now I didn't tell him he needed Jesus because I really wanted him to have Jesus. I'm telling you, I just, you know, if there was anybody I wanted to go to hell, it would have been him. But it's not good that pastors say those kind of things. But, but I got to tell you, don't, don't make me more holy than you think I am. I mean, look, the reality is I wasn't thinking that I just, I, I said that to make myself feel better. You need Jesus. You know what he did? His lips started quivering. He goes, you're right. I am? This story has a lot more to it. This dude ends up in church on Sunday at where I pastored. And he, ended up, he, he was about the most faithful uh, attender I've ever seen in my entire life. And also he was a good bouncer at the end of the service. But, 
But now, now look, look, that was my first incidental one life. I was not, uh, there's no credit here. It's just, and you know, I'd like to tell you, well, the spirit knew that that was going to happen. So he, no, it was all bad motivation, man. But it happened because when you chuck the seed, you never, and it was a small seed. Jesus, you need, that's all it took. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you that this parable, the meaning, we're supposed to be chucking seed all the time. Your waitress, leave a tip. Now, if you leave next to nothing, don't admit you're a Christian. But if you leave a decent tip, you should write a little message on the receipt. God loves you. Little, little seed chucking. Carry scripture verses around you everywhere. Leave them everywhere. You got to get creative in this. Buy the guy a coffee behind you and then just tell him, you know, God loves you. Or... Even more clever, carry those little scripture verses around and slip it in the coffee sleeve so that when he takes it off, there it is. Chuck seed everywhere, all the time. Think about your next move. The problem is, listen, trust his word. Trust this word to do what it has the ability to do more than your ability to defend it. Chuck the seed indiscriminately. You never know what kind of soil it's going to land on. That's not up to you. Conversion's not your job. Chuck the seed. Because the one thing you do know, even though you don't know the type of soil it will land upon, you do know the word of God does not return void. Something always happens. And by the way, be creative with it, okay? No, no. Please, be creative. My friend Ron Potter, I've mentioned before, uh, he loves God and golf, and in that order. And he said, how can I use golf to glorify God? God. And he started a thing called the CGA. And they go from city to city, and he will take a Christian golfer, and that Christian golfer will invite three golfers that don't yet know the Lord. And so now you have about, uh, you get 220, uh, sorry, 120 golfers in a golf course at one time. Each foursome is filled with one believer, three guys who don't yet know Christ, who haven't heard the gospel, understood it, received it with joy. And so this whole day, they get free golf, Chick-fil-A feeds them a lunch. There's a five-course dinner, a great meal in the evening, and all of this is absolutely free. And the whole day they're thinking, okay, where's the timeshare in Florida or Hawaii that they're going to try to sell me? And then I'll stand up or a pastor like me will stand up and say, guys, we did this today because there's somebody who gave us a wonderful gift and we just wanted to give you a gift too. It's not about timeshare. And then I've got like three to five minutes just to share quickly the simplicity of the gospel. No one's ever walked out of those meetings and every event we have, someone gives their life to Jesus. That's creativity. Now, let me introduce you to Kyle Hole, an exchange student from Tokyo. George and Martha Richards are amazing seed chuckers. Their strategy is this. We will house exchange students and inundate them with seeds until something starts to grow. And so Kyle Hole lived with Audrey, the Richards daughter, for four months, and then with George and Martha for five. And the whole time that she's living with them, she's coming here. People are chucking seeds. She's interested. She hears more. She hears more. She hears more until a couple of weeks ago, she gave her life to Christ. Now, guess what she's doing? She's going to take the seed back with her to Tokyo, a place that you and I will probably never go. And she will influence people that you and I would never have access to. And that's what the scripture means when it says that the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. A bumper crop in Jesus' day, at best, would yield 33%. And yet Jesus starts there and goes up 30, 60, 100-fold. 
Because to the one, we are aroma of life. To the other, we are aroma of death. And I like how he finished it. And who is equal to such a task? Nobody. It's not your job to convert. You chuck the seed. Chuck it indiscriminately, everywhere. And sooner or later, you know what's going to happen? You're going to chuck it on some good soil. And when it grows and prospers, it's going to give you a spiritual high that you have never had before. And my dream for our church is that we would become addicted to chucking seed. That, that, that you would get to a point in your life when if it's been a few days since you've had your chucking seed fix, that you would print some scripture verses, or you would share your faith, or you would invite somebody to church, that you would chuck seed trusting God to grow it. And it would become so habitual to you that you would actually start going through chucking seed withdrawal. And you would desire the chucking seed high that comes along with taking somebody's hand and walking them toward Christ. Did you know that the Christians of old, one of their main concerns or fears was that they would stand before God without anybody with them alone. And so they actually started writing hymns about it. One hymn goes like this, must I go before God and empty handed, thus my dear redeemer meet, not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet. Must I go and empty handed, must I meet my savior so, not one soul with which to greet him, must I empty handed go. Now listen, stay with me. I know that the gap between the Christian and the non-Christian is forever widening. I'm, I don't have my head in the sand. I got it. I've seen the bumper stickers. Religion can't start a war without it. Science helps you fly to the moon. Religion helps you fly into buildings. Yes, I know the soil today is harder and harder, and in some cases, it leads to imbecility in the way people think. I got that. There is an increasing resistance, I know, but what did you expect? I don't know anywhere in the Bible where Jesus says, it's going to be a walk in the park. <laughs> the opposite. They're going to persecute you because they persecuted me. And sometimes when you chuck the seed, they may pick it up and throw it right back in your face. But it's supposed to be hard. Welcome to the Christian life. It's hard to go through that narrow gate, and your job is to chuck the seed. Listen, just quickly before I move on to the last thing. A few years ago, the Warriors beat the Cavaliers uh, in the NBA Finals. I think it was four to one. Now, the year before that, it was the Spurs and Heat. And the reason it was such a big game to me was because the Spurs had all the old guys. And the Heat had these, you know, up-and-coming young guys, or at least youngish guys. So I'm pulling for the old guys. I've noticed that's what you do when you get old. You always pull for the old guy. The story is told, and I have been able to validate it by various internet sites, which, you know, is always true, uh, respectable sites, that Popovich, uh, at one point, the Spurs were behind the heat, and Tony Parker and uh, the big guy, uh, Tim Duncan, came over into a huddle, and Popovich was really getting on them because they were falling behind, and it was Tim Duncan who said to Coach, Coach, don't be so hard on us. This is difficult. This is hard. We're tired. Popovich paused, looked right in his eye and said, Tim, this is the NBA Finals. It's supposed to be hard. And I think Jesus would say to you and me, Jeff, of course it's hard. It's a matter of life and death. Did you think I was just kidding around when I inspired the Apostle Paul to write, 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Do you think I was just kidding around? This world's messed up, man. Don't think that everyone's going to be accommodating. But I need you to keep chucking seed. Why? Because James 5.16 says, The effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Greek word is energase. When we pray, God releases his energy. I think the New Testament especially discourages you from talking to demons. I know people who want to do that. I don't think we're supposed to be doing that. I think they're real, but I don't think you're supposed to go around talking to them. But if I were to talk to them, do you know what I would say? I would say this. My dad could beat up your dad. And if I really believe that, if I really believe that, I would chuck seed everywhere because it's not up to me. I just present the truth and the spirit of God takes over. So broadly, don't sweat the soils. Third and finally, rejoice when the seed really grows. Rejoice. Do you know why I tell you about the people who have come to Christ in this church? Is to show we can show off our numbers? No, because what gets celebrated gets repeated. And I hope that when you celebrate, you'll be inspired to repeat it. And I want you to know that there have been so many here over the last few years as we've started this vision of One Hope, One Life. I had so many stories to share with you this weekend. I, I know they would motivate you, but I do want to share one and then I'll finish. Her name is Priscilla Munoz. Right now she's over in the cafe. She works at our cafe. She's making coffee. Her story's amazing. She came out of the New Age movement. Extremely demonic experiences. She once saw her boyfriend, her former boyfriend, and herself as reincarnations of Adam and Eve, of Jesus and Mary and the Divine Mother and God. And her spiritual journey took her to both darkness and light, and trying to navigate that maze just became too much. She told me this morning that the first time I think she came here was when Frank Sontag was speaking here that weekend. And if you know anything about Frank, he was in New Age for years. That started, somebody was chucking seed toward her at all times. And seed and more seed and more seed. It became kind of like Hansel and Gretel dropping crumbs to find their way back home. All this seed. And she gave her life to Jesus. She wrote a poem. And I usually don't read these because it takes too long and I'm not going to read all of it. But it's so profound, I wanted you to hear it because she exemplifies the experience so many are having. Let me read the first part and then I'll put the second part on the screen. She writes, in despair I search for my neverland. What a great first line. My emerald city. Though I felt pain and misery, I knew there had to be a place of refuge and tranquility. They told me to find it in a man, a career, and even a house. But I said, no, this place is so close. It's as close as my heart. She goes on, undeserving and wretched, you told me I'm yours. Clothe me in white and walk me through your corridors. A marvel too bright, an esteem too deep. By your cross, I'm forgiven. By your love, I'm freed. And then she says, my Neverland, my Emerald City, you were close the whole time. In despair and misery and confusion, you wanted me. Only a whisper away, I couldn't see. My sin obscured your divinity. To live and move and have my being in you, you tore down the veil and ripped it in two. No longer a captive in slavery, no longer a mystery. The way for us to be one was made known. My hero, my God, my Savior, Jesus Christ, you set eternity in my heart from the beginning, and only you, only you could bring me home. And he did. He did.
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.